All right, welcome back. All right, this morning I have an opportunity to introduce a friend of mine to you, and many of you probably know him, but Jordan Skornick is um, somebody who is, well, an extended part of our faith family. And uh, Jordan actually started uh, going into his college career pre-med and then ended up being diverted to get a PhD in biblical studies and uh, actually um, teaches some classes at University of Portland and um, has taught at many other places. Has also worked um, with the Murdoch uh, Charitable Foundation and many of you are familiar with that. And God has brought kind of those experiences in Jordan together to uh, serve as executive director the last two years at Borland Free Clinic. So we are very thankful for Jordan. Yeah. And really thankful for the ongoing work and how God has been using um, the clinic. And there's some opportunities ahead that we want to make sure you have a chance to be a part of. And so Jordan kind of share what's happening. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Bill, and good morning, Rolling Hills Community Church. Uh, I want to start by just thanking you all and saying that, you know, ever since I started on staff at Borland Free Clinic, I have really felt the support of this congregation. Uh, from what I've learned about the history of the origins of the clinic uh, from you all, as well as the ongoing support from the executive leadership and the staff here at the church, we are really honored to be in this space and to be partners with you all. Um, the Borland Free Clinic, for those of you who don't know, uh, exists to meet the physical, uh, mental, and spiritual needs of the most vulnerable members of our community as an expression of Christ's love. And the need is extremely great. And we are honored to serve the people that we do. Uh, we are really uh, feel proud of what we're able to accomplish in the space that we are a part of. Um, but we also know that we can do so much more. And so what we are here to do today is, I'm here to do is to invite you down after the service. We are hosting an open house in the clinic for you to learn more about what we do, why we do what we do, who we serve, and most importantly, what our plans are for the future. If you didn't know, last month, Borland Free Clinic launched its first ever capital campaign in order to renovate its space downstairs to reflect a modern clinic. And we are super excited about the progress we've made, but we wanna be able to share and celebrate what we're doing with you all. So please come downstairs to hear more about that. And most importantly, we wanna let you know that thanks to a anonymous and very generous donor, that we are offering a one-time opportunity starting today for folks to contribute to our campaign, um, the first $25,000 that come from this community will be matched. So if you are interested in the work we do, if you feel led to support the work we do, this is uh, a great opportunity to uh, expand your impact and increasing the impact you can make through your financial contributions. So uh, that's really the lead, um, but come downstairs to learn a lot more. And if you can't make it, we do have a booth right outside uh, where you can learn more and ask questions. Uh, Direction-wise, we're headed down the east side of the church, and you can come in through our brand new entrance, which is part of this campaign. So come hang out, get some food, ask your questions, meet some of our board members, many of whom are members of this church, uh, and just want to say thank you for all the support that you've given us over the years and into the future. Yeah, thank you, Jordan. This is, uh, um, I don't know, it's a ministry that just fills my heart with joy, and you see a lot of things going on in the world that are broken and a lot of pain and heartache. 
And uh, this is a ministry that actually has a positive impact on people's lives and make people feel valued and loved and changes lives, saves, literally saves lives as people who um, get physical and medical treatment um, who would not have. And so we are so, so thankful for that. So please, if you haven't been down there or if you have and you just wanna see what is focusing on right now, um, go down there. As Jordan said, go past the cheese wedge, go downstairs and make sure you get up to see what's going on. Um, we're gonna pray and uh, uh, pray for the clinic. So if you would just stand with me, and as we do, is, uh, we, if you're willing to extend a hand of blessing, um, and let's pray for Jordan in the clinic. Father, I am so grateful for um, how you bring different people together uh, to serve you and reflect your love um, to people in our community. And I thank you for Jordan, how you prepared his life for such a time as this to uh, provide leadership and direction for our clinic. Um, and we thank you for how you have already impacted so many people's lives. Um, and people have experienced your, your touch in their life by having others listen to them, care for them, and serve them. And so now we pray believing that you're going to expand not just the physical footprint of a Borland Free Clinic, but the impact into people's lives in our community who are often ignored and underserved. And so we believe you're gonna do great things in serving the whole person. And we look forward to you moving in that way. And so Father, we lift these opportunities to you. We ask that you'd move in people's hearts and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, it's one of the most exciting things happening um, here on our campus, and I really encourage you to take, take your time to go down there. Um, the, the lower level here is when people ask me about Rolling Hills, first thing I share with them is the lower level and what, what's, how God is using that to make an, a difference in people's lives in so many different ways, and the clinic is a big part of that. So go down and take advantage of that opportunity to learn about it, see, I mean, you hear about it all the time, so uh, see what's going on and see what, what the expansion's going to do and how it's gonna help care for people and make people even feel more safe as they come um, and seek help. So, all right, today we're in Genesis chapter 22, going through the book of Genesis. We're at chapter 22 today. It is probably the most popular story in the life of Abraham. And it's one of the most challenging. You think, what in the heck is going on here? What is God asking him to do? Is he really gonna do it? And um, this is hard to get our minds around. So we're gonna wrestle through it. Uh, but basically it's answering this question um, that Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're a believer in God, you're going, okay, this, this is important. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so what kind of faith are we talking about here? What's the definition of faith? What does that look like? I mean, we get, hear people say all the time, I believe in God. Um, is that what it's talking about? We need to figure it out because it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what kind of faith are we talking about? Is this the kind of faith that people talk about when they say, well, I'm a Christian? Is that what, what God's talking about? And so we are going to look at it and through this situation in Genesis 22, 
where Abraham is asked to trust God. And what does that mean? So here we go. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, and he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this does not sound like God. I mean, when I read this, I think, oh, take your son and offer him up as a burnt offering. Kill my son. What is going on? So at first blush, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It seems wrong. And uh, so what did Abraham think? And we're going we're gonna to look at that. First, before we do that, though, it says go to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is an important place in the Bible. It's spoken about many, many times. Many things that happen on Mount Moriah um, you know about, but you might not know it's Mount Moriah. Okay, So uh, first of all, Mount uh, Abraham lives in southern Israel in a place called Beersheba. All right. So he's coming from the desert of southern Israel. He's going north. He's going a little east, and he's climbing the mountains. And there's a mountain called Moriah. Okay, that mountain Moriah uh, you might be familiar with from First Chronicles chapter twenty. Let's see, chapter twenty-one, and that is the story where David is counting his troops. And you go, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with that normally, but what David is doing is he's saying, "Hey, look what I've done. I mean, I have. I am really the leader of one of the most powerful nations in the world right now." And so he counts the troops just to kind of say. You know, can anybody stop me? I mean, this is amazing. And so his, his focus is going off from trusting in God to going to trusting in me and, and the power that I have. And God says, first of all, warned him, don't do that. Your, your, your focus is shifting and it's going off of me as a result. And number two is he said, okay, you've done it. Now there's going to be judgment. I'm going to punish you for your own self-centeredness to think that um, you did something that I didn't have a hand in. Because you know yours, your trust in me that I delivered victories to you. I, I gave you this power. I gave you this um, blessings in your life. And you're not even thanking me for it now. You're, you're just thinking, look what I've done. That's messed up. And so he begins to bring judgment on the people of Israel, on David and his followers and, and, his, and his land. And he starts wiping out people. And David all of a sudden realizes, this is on me. This is on me. I have lost my focus. And so he goes to Mount Moriah to a threshing floor of Arana, and he falls on his face, and he asks forgiveness of God. And God says, I'm going to remove my hand of judgment and stop the judgment at this time. That happened at the threshing floor on top of Mount Moriah. All right. Now you fast forward to Genesis or to First Chronicles chapter three, and David's son Solomon is going to build a temple to God. David wanted to do it, but God said, "Hey, your hands are are bloody. You're, you've been in so many um, conflicts and fights and and battles that I'm not going to have." Um, somebody with, with so much blood on their hand, build my temple. And so I'll save that for your son. His son, Solomon, builds the temple. Where does he build it? On Mount Moriah. And so today, 
if you go to Jerusalem and you go to the old city, well, you're, if you're across the valley, the Kidron Valley up on Mount Carmel, and you're looking across and you're looking to the old city of Jerusalem, you're gonna see the Temple Mount. On top of the Temple Mount is um, a uh, Dome of the Rock, which is one of the most holy places in um, Islam. And that is built on Mount Moriah, okay? And so, so many things have happened in the Bible on Mount Moriah. And it's a place where often the judgment of God and the mercy of God come together, come together. So this is the first time we're hearing about Mount Moriah. And he's asking Abraham to go there three days away. So he starts going. He, he takes his son Isaac. He takes um, some employees with him. And they begin hiking to Mount Moriah. Now, this question that God's offering, you know, asking Abraham to do, it, it, it just seems crazy. Sacrifice your son. Well, first of all, they've been waiting for Isaac forever. Couldn't have kids. Finally, God miraculously gives them children, and it's Isaac. And God has promised that through Isaac, through Isaac and his descendants, a big nation is going to be built, and it's going to bless. God will bless the world through this nation. Ultimately, Jesus is going to come through the descendants of Isaac. And so hope to all the world is going to be given through this, this Abraham's family through his son Isaac. So now Abraham's told, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And so in him is this conflict. And it's a conflict that he would have understood more fully than we understood, understand by just reading this at face value. And to understand it, you'd have to understand what did... Um, people in the ancient ear, or Near East who were followers of God, what did they understand? And so um, reading some of Jim or John Levinson, who is a professor of Jewish studies and of ancient Near East um, literature at Harvard, he has helped kind of give a glimpse into the mind of a person who worshiped Yahweh, God, and what that person understood. And what that person understood is that ever since Adam and Eve, who were created by God to be in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another and others, if we simply, if you simply trust God, to have a loving relationship with somebody, you need to have the option not to love them. And so Adam and Eve loved God until they didn't. Until they said, you know what, I don't trust that God is a good God and is trustworthy. I think he's holding stuff back for me that would be good for me. And so they chose to trust themselves into God instead of God, and that relationship was broken. And it marred, our, it marred creation, and it marred our very um, nature, in that we're born with this, this nature that's really pretty selfish. And we're focused on my good, myself, and that's where we go to um, out of the gate. God says that separation from him is going to be judged by him because he is a just God. He says, by no means can I let the guilty go unpunished. Well, who's guilty? We all are. I mean, we all do things that are selfish, that are prideful. We all um, spend parts of our life at least ignoring God, not even thinking about him, who is our creator and who we are built for relationship with. And so there is a day we will stand before God and 
we will suffer the consequences of walking away from him. They all knew that in ancient history. They all knew that because God constantly reminded them by saying, hey, I want the first fruits. I want the first of your harvest and bring it to me as an offering, reminding, reminding you that you need my, forgiveness, my forgiveness, that, that you are broken, that we are separated, and that um, you need to trust on my love and grace and forgiveness for us to be reunited. And so come and worship me and offer me your, the first of your harvest. Offer me the first of your cattle and your livestock, your first um, cows that are being born, your first lambs that are being born. Bring them to me as a statement of I worship you and I depend, up, I depend upon you. And then he also said, bring me your firstborn. Commit your firstborn to me. And so if you're going, really, is that in there? Yeah, look, at, um, let me give you some. Uh, Exodus 22, Numbers 3, Numbers 8. God just said, hey, as a result of you needing to be dependent upon me for redemption, as a reminder, I want you to give me your firstborn. And uh, we see that in places like Egypt when the Passover happened. And God said, the Egyptians, I'm going to punish you because of the evil you've been doing to the Hebrew people. And you've, been held, held, you've held them in um, slavery. And so I'm bringing punishment on you until you let them go. And here's my punishment. I demand of you your firstborn male, your first fruits, your firstborn male. But I also offer forgiveness and redemption. If you take your firstborn lamb and you sacrifice that lamb and take the blood and paint the top of your front door with it, I will pass over your house and not bring judgment. I will withhold the judgment because a sacrifice has been made on your behalf. And that's what's going to happen. And so first fruits, first cattle, first, firstborn, all of them are to be committed to God as, a, as recognition that I need the forgiveness of God. I stand before God, God guilty, and God is a just God. Okay? So when he goes to Abraham and he says, I'm demanding your son Isaac to be laid on an altar and sacrificed to me, Isaac knows, oh my gosh, um, I've done a lot of stupid things. I'm guilty before God, and God is calling in my debt. And he's calling for my firstborn son. So Abraham knows God's a just God. On the other hand, he knows that God has promised to work through Isaac to bring grace and mercy. And so how do these two things work out? Abraham doesn't know. He's, he's walking for three days trying to figure it out. And he doesn't know. How, how's, how's God, the command of God's judgment and the promise of his mercy how can they both be active and work together? And he doesn't know, but he's following God. Verse three, and so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Down to verse seven. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, um, here I am, my son. And he said, Isaac said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, I will, um, God will provide for himself 
the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together and they left behind their employees and they both went to the top of Mount Moriah where Isaac was gonna be sacrificed. Here's what Abraham was thinking. I don't get why I'm in this situation and I don't get how I'm gonna get out of it. But I believe in the judgment and the mercy of God. And somehow, God's asking me to do something and he's gonna work through Isaac. And I don't know, is he gonna bring him back to life? I don't know what's gonna happen. But I know somehow that even though I don't see the sacrifice, God does. I don't know what the solution is, God does. Now, have you ever been in a time in your life where you're going, God, why am I in this place? I mean, I should not be going through this season of life. This is painful, it's not right. I can tell you all the reasons why I think I, this is, is not keeping with what you think is good and right. And so why am I in this place? And the truth is I've been in those seasons. I've been in those seasons where they're pain-filled. And I go, what did I do wrong? I don't think, I, I, I don't know why I'm here. And yet, God, you're asking me to go through a season. Why is it, why is this going on? And here's the truth. Just because I don't know doesn't mean there isn't a good reason. Just because I can't figure it out doesn't mean God doesn't have it figured out. And it doesn't even mean that I, that I will know the reason. But I know that God is good and that he's reasonable. He does not do anything that conflicts with his goodness and righteousness. And so I can trust him, even though I may not get it. And that's what Abraham was doing. He was saying, God's gonna provide somehow. I don't know how this is gonna work out, but I, I know he's good. I'm gonna follow him. Verse nine, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and then bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay, a couple observations here. Um, what in the heck was Isaac thinking? I'll tell you, what it kind of lends us to think is that Abraham explained, this is what God's asked me to do, and I don't get it. And you, God is going to use you to become a great nation. He's going to bless the world through your descendants. But he's asked me to do this. Now, um, Abraham is 115 years old. 3,000 years ago, people lived longer than we live. But 115 is still old. Isaac could have said, hey, catch me if you can. You know, Isaac is, we don't know exactly, but he's somewhere between like 15 and 25. He, he's, he's a young man. He could have bobbed and weaved. He could have straight-armed his dad and never have gotten on the altar. But it says he got on the altar. He willingly got on the altar. I think Abraham is influencing his son. And I think his son is like, I don't know what's going on here, but I trust you, Dad, and I'm learning to trust in your God. Isaac was foreshadowing Jesus Christ. All throughout this story, we're seeing a future picture of another father who's gonna sacrifice their son. 
And Isaac willingly got on the wood altar. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Okay, right there, that picture freaks me out. Um, I, I don't like horror movies. You know, I, I, they just kind of like, I, you know, life is a big enough horror. I don't need to be entertained by this. You know, I mean, um, and so I'm just, this is, this is hard to read. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Um, the reality is at no time was the life of Isaac threatened because God knew what he's going to do. Abraham didn't. And Abraham was willing to trust God and go through with it. So here's what we're learning about faith. Saving faith is trusting in God with action. Trusting in God with action. Faith isn't measured by what I believe, but faith is measured by how I live. Now, you might be saying, time out, time out. Our whole hope is in God and his grace. I have no way of being able to earn my right to stand before God and say, I deserve being in your presence. I mean, the Bible says that the best I have to offer, that my, my, my kindest actions, it says, are filthy rags to God. And what it's saying is, in comparison to the goodness of God, the best I have to offer looks like garbage in comparison to the goodness of God. So who am I to think that I can earn God's acceptance? And so the Bible says, it's only the grace of God and what he's done that offer me forgiveness. And my hope is not in what I do, my hope is in what he's done. Okay, so it's totally true. The grace of God is my hope, not on what, my, what I do, but I respond to that grace by trusting God. If I get what he's done for me, then I say, I, I trust in you, God. My hope is in you, I'm trusting in you. And trust means I follow. If I believe God's a good God and I really want to do something that I know is not honoring to him, then I say, you know what, I'm not going to do it because I trust God has the best for me. And why would I do something that I think is going to give me something that God wouldn't? Is, can you trust God? Is God good? Is he good enough to trust him? Now, in our world, when we talk about, okay, um, I believe, I believe in God. Um, if we took how we define that and we um, put that onto Abraham, Abraham would have said, okay, God, I hear you. I, I hear you want me to sacrifice Isaac. You want me to take a three-hour walk to Mount Moriah. But um, what I'm telling you is um, I know that you're a real God. I know that you're good but I just can't do this. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. And then if that was the faith that God wanted, God would say, okay, I get it. I, I know you believe in me. I know you trust me. How do I know that? Because you told me so. But that's not what God's saying. That's 
what we think. A lot of times we think trusting God. Oh yeah, I trust him. We're saying, I intellectually believe that he's out there. It makes sense that there's a higher being. Um, I, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I, be, I believe that Jesus was a real historical person and he died on the cross for my sins. And so I believe that. But what God's saying is if you believe something and it doesn't impact how you live your life, then you don't have faith. You're not trusting him. It's not saving faith. Verse 12, look what he says. And God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. How does he know? Because he saw what Abraham was willing to do. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. See, real faith acts. Real faith acts. You, you can't separate the two. If I say I trust you and I'm willing to take your advice because I trust you, it means then I follow whatever advice you gave me. If I say I make a commitment to you, Kathy, as, as my wife, that I will be committed to you forever. And so, because um, I believe that's what God wants of me. But then I pursue other women God, or Kathy's going to say, I don't believe you. And I said, no, I believe that God says, you're the person for me. And I believe that. Um, but I also need to have some options. You know, God's going to say, uh, or God, I'm Kathy, who sometimes I confuse. But um, <laughs> uh, Kathy's going to say, no, your actions don't prove your belief. All right, and so it doesn't line up. Um, God says, if we trust him, we'll follow him. And it changes how we think, love, and live. If I say, how many of you believe that one day you're gonna die? I mean, everybody would raise their hands, like, oh, don't make me think about this, but everybody would raise their hand. And then I'd say, okay, if you're an adult, um, do you have a will or a living trust that's up to date? And then that's a different question, isn't it? It's like, okay, as an adult, if I have any assets whatsoever, then I probably need to think through, if I die, which one day I will, where are they going? And so do I believe I'm gonna die? Yes, but I'm lacking some actions that would say I really believe it, all right? Um, do you believe that you should uh, exercise and eat well? What I mean by well, I mean like good food, food that's good for you, not I eat a lot. Um, do you believe that? Most of us say yes. Well, how many of us are regularly exercising? Different question. You see, so when I say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, we might just say period, and that's all it means. I believe in God, but it has no impact on how we live. And that's not saving faith. Saving faith says, I believe he's good. I believe he's my only way to get connected to him is through his grace and mercy. And I trust in what he's done. And I believe he made me for a purpose. I'm not an accident. He had something in mind when he made me. 
and I'm going to trust them and follow them. And then you do it. Now, we're not talking about perfection. We've already seen Abraham is just a big hot mess. I mean, he's done so many stupid things. He's done much more evil things than probably you'll ever do. And yet he's growing. We see a pattern of growth of his trust in God growing and how he lives his life is changing. And that's what God's talking about. Do you trust me? Well, then are you willing to follow me? We can believe without doing anything about it, and that's not it. Uh, faith in God and our actions, they cannot be separated. Uh, the, the New Testament talks about this. In James chapter 2, we're going to read it. First John chapter 2 as well is a good place to go to read about this. But in James 2 verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, it, it, if it does not have works, is dead. So is that saying works save us? No, it's saying your faith would result in trusting God in how you live. There's gonna be a growth in that. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, my, my life is gonna show you where my trust is. It's not gonna be perfect. It's gonna be contradicting at times. But if you really watch my life and I continue to grow in my trust of God, there's going to be change. There's going to be change because I'm, I'm trusting in him. Listen to verse 19. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe in God. So that's not the belief that God's talking about. Uh, do demons believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Yes. Do demons believe that Jesus rose from the dead for the salvation and forgiveness of the world? Yes. Do they trust God and are they living for him? No. Are they gonna spend eternity separated from God in hell? Yes. But they believe, they intellectually believe. And so this is not the same thing. This is a belief like, um, and I've heard this many times, but somebody comes up to me and they're, in, and they're in their spiritual journey and they're in the process of thinking things through and they're sensing that God is real and they're sensing that Jesus is who he said he was. And they're going, I want to become a Christian. But if I do that, will God make me stop doing this or will he take this away from me? And see, um, here's the working def definition of God, okay? Um, here's your God. Your God is what in your life is non-negotiable. That's your God. What in your life is non-negotiable? So when I come to the God of the Bible and I say, yeah, you make sense. You make the most sense for this world as I see it. And my worldview has to contain a God who is overall and created all. If I go to that God and say, uh, hey God, um, I believe you just as long as you help me accomplish the things that I want and don't take away the things that I want to keep. Well, I've just defined my God. And it's not the God of the Bible, it's the things that I don't want to let go of. That that's my God. And the real God is telling us, hey, I, I'm, 
There's not space for two of us. You either recognize me as your God or you, you, you got a ways to go. Do you trust God? Do you trust that he's good and he's worthy of following? That's what Abraham did. In, Genesis, or in James 2, verse 21, it refers to Abraham. And it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And he's not justified by saying, okay, he, wore, he, was, he did such good things that God said, okay, now I love you. No, God loved him and wants to forgive him. And Abraham proved that he trusted God because his belief and his actions went together. Twenty-two. You see that faith, his faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith separated from works. And so, do we trust God? Abraham trusted God. Didn't know how it was going to work out, but God provided a substitute sacrifice. There was a ram stuck in the bushes. And, and Abraham recognized, there's our sacrifice. There's the sacrifice God knew was there all along. We didn't, but we followed him, and he provided the sacrifice. Why didn't Abraham have to thrust that knife down onto his son? I mean, why? how could the justice of God be met in the fact that every one of us is going to stand before a perfect and holy God and be accountable for our life not trusting him? And at the same time, how can the promise of God's mercy and grace also be offered to us? Well, it was because on Mount Moriah, 2,000 years later, God the Father walked God the Son up that mountain. And God the Son willingly got on the wood, the wood altar that was in the shape of a cross. And he said, um, no one takes my life from me, but I give it willingly. Why would you do that? He said, for the joy set before me. The Son of God got on the cross and sacrificed his life as paying judgment, paying the consequences of our sin. And he said, I'm willing to do that because of the joy set before me. What's the joy set before him? He says, it's you and it's me. Jesus sacrificed himself, the perfect sacrificial lamb on the cross so that you and I can be forgiven by a just and holy God. And if we understand that, then I'm willing to walk up Mount Moriah. I'm willing to trust God in seasons of my life that are sucky, that I don't understand. But I know God's good, and he's proved his love for me, and I can trust him.
I think if Abraham was there 2,000 years later, he would have taken that verse in Genesis 22, verse 12, where God says, I see that you're willing to go through this and not withhold your son from me. I think 2,000 years later on Mount Moriah, Abraham would have been standing at the foot of the cross looking up at Jesus, going, now I get it. Now I get it. And he would have turned verse 12 around. And he would have said, now I know. Now I know, God, that you love me. Because you did not withhold your own son, your only son, whom you love. You didn't withhold hold him back. But you gave him as a sacrifice for me. That's the love of God for you. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can trust him, even in times that are tough and difficult. Let's bow our heads. And do you trust God with your life? Is it lip service? Is it, yeah, I believe in God. Intellectually, I do, but you're not willing to trust him with your life? Well, it's because something else in your life is your God. And maybe today in your journey, um, God's brought you to the place where it's like, okay, I am confronted with the fact that I've intellectually believed in you, but I haven't trusted you with my life. And I want to give you the chance to do that, if that's you. And you can pray to God and say, God, I know that you love me and you've pursued me and you've been patient with me. And today, I want you to know that I do know that you are good and you are trustworthy. And so I offer you my life. And I ask you to forgive me because I recognize the love you have for me that held nothing back. And you allowed your own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And so now I... I want to know how to follow you. And I know you made me for a purpose. And so help me to understand the person that you made me to be. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. If uh, you are in this room with us today and you just prayed along with me, then I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. And um, it only takes a second. But as soon as we're done, go through those middle doors back there. And there's some tables. And just go up to the one of the people behind the tables and just um, say, hey, I prayed with Bill today. And they're, they're going to give you just a sheet of information. And it's going to do two things. One is it gives you some verses to look up that kind of reinforce the decision you just made. And the second thing it does, it says, okay, if you want to know your God more, learn more about who he, who he says he is and who he says you are, then here are some ideas. Here, here are some ways that you can begin building that relationship. And so it's just some practical ideas, some that you may really resonate with, and so do those. And uh, forget about the other ones for now. But begin growing in this relationship. And if you're online with us today, thank you for joining us. And if you prayed along with me, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and fill out that information. Um, let us know that you prayed along with me today and we will send this information to you um, however you want it uh, from us and we'll, we'll make sure we get it to you. Um, we're going to continue to sing now and to worship as uh, 
we get our minds continually connected to who God is and who we are.